is uh, great to see you today, and I hope you're having a great morning. Um, I want to um, just start off by sharing a question uh, that I was asked this last week, and uh, I thought it was such a good question. I've actually been kind of asking it to different people, and the question was this, um, Jeff, what is one of the things that you're anticipating most in 2020? Uh, of all the things that you could be looking forward to, what's one of the things that you're anticipating most? And i got to be honest with you, everybody, it didn't take me long to answer that question. Um, I thought immediately of the series that we're in called 40 Days. And I thought, and I'd said this, I said, you know, the thing that I'm anticipating most is what God might do in this series that we're going through as a church. Um, there are certain things, and you know this to be true, that when we talk about them on a Sunday morning, they may be applied to you, maybe that day, maybe for a week, maybe a little bit longer. There are other things that we talk about that it's a specific subject, very, you know, very honed in on a topic. And then there are other things that we talk about that really could have an impact on the trajectory of our lives. They're so big and so important that they could actually shape the family tree. They're that big. They could shape a legacy. That's the nature of what we're talking about in this series. And that's why I'm so excited to be in this series with you uh, called 40 Days. So if you're watching online today, huge welcome to you. If you're at our Elkhorn campus or here at our Millard campus, welcome to you. We're so glad that you joined us. Or if you're at our Correctional Center campus, guys in Mod 7, uh, we want to welcome you today as well. It's a great time, honestly, to be at church. It's a great time to be tuning in um, because what we're talking about is really, really legacy-shaping kind of stuff. Um, so in this series, what we've been doing is this. We've been diving into Matthew chapter 6. And what we've been seeing in Matthew chapter 6 is that there is a habit that you and I, if we had this in our lives, it could really, really impact the trajectory of our lives. You know how it is in life that there are certain habits that affect one part of your life? And then there are other habits that you look at and what they're sometimes referred to as is like a keystone habit. And what that means is that it's one habit that if you have this in your life on a regular basis, it will actually impact not just one area of your life, but multiple areas of your life. What we're talking about in this series is of that nature. It has the potential to impact a whole lot of areas of your life for the people in your life to be able to say this, I'm so glad that so-and-so has that habit in their life because it's impacting who they are. And so we've been asking this question in this series, what if we learned how to pray? What if we learned how to pray? But not just what if we learned how to pray, what if we became a praying people? Because it's great to learn about something and get knowledge, and we want to do that, and we thank God for the scriptures to help us be informed. But we want to be the kind of people, we want to be the kind of church that we not only hear God's word, but we then put it into practice, and it shapes who we are, that it does really impact our habits. And so what we've been doing in this series is we've been encouraging you on a couple fronts. We've been saying, hey, for 40 days, and we're only halfway in, so you're not too late. If you're just coming in this morning in this series, you're okay. But what we've been saying is this, hey, would you do a couple things? One, would you pick a time? Number two, would you pick a place? And number three, would you go there and would you begin to pray? And so we've been asking that really of everyone. And for some of you, you would say you're a seasoned follower of Jesus Christ. You've been walking with him for a long, long time, but maybe you're in a place where you would say, you know what, my... My prayer life, though, it's just not what maybe I feel like it should be. I want more for it. I wish it would flourish. For others of you, you're on the other side of the spectrum, and you're saying, I'm not a Christian. I'm actually exploring the claims of Jesus Christ. And I just have to say to you, I'm so glad that you're a part of this series because so much of our relationship with Jesus Christ is relational in nature. And so if you can learn how to talk to your Heavenly Father from the start, that might be the catalyst for your faith in Christ. And so I'm so glad that you're It's a perfect time. But we're asking this question, what if, 
Church, what if we built our days on prayer? What if before anything else, we began to seek God? Just this past week, again, only halfway into this series, I heard things like this. One guy said this. He said, I picked a place. He said, I used to get out of bed and in the morning, first thing I'd do, click. I'd turn on the TV. I'd listen to TV. I'd just be in the background. He said, but now, he said, I picked my place. I picked my time. And he said, for the first time, he said, I'm 20 days in. I've gone 20 days, and I'm reading God's word, and I'm praying. And he said, it's changing my life. I talked to a guy last weekend, and he said, you know, he's incarcerated, actually. And he said, I go to a corner in my cell. Think about that, the intentionality. I love it. He said, I go to a corner in my cell and I pray. Specific time, specific place. And he said, it's impacting the other inmates that I'm with. Someone else said this, I've dedicated this desk upstairs to to my place of prayer. I know when I go and that's where I go and I'm seeing God answer my prayers. Uh, Another person, a small group leader said, we go around in our group and we just say, hey, have you picked your time? Have you picked your place? And and now we're asking this question, how have you seen God at work? And he said, we're beginning to see. People are having stories about how God is answering prayers. They're seeing the activity of God in their lives. Another person said this. They said, I've never journaled out prayers before, but you gave us this little journal, and I'm writing out my prayers, and now we're at about day 20-ish. And he said, I'm looking back, and I'm going, wow, God, you've showed up. God, you've accomplished things that I asked you to do. God, I'm seeing you work. Everybody, imagine if before the demands of the day hit us, imagine if we kind of hit our knees and we just said, Lord, would you help us? And I'll be honest with you, I, I told you kind of what my, where my place is. It's this little storage room in our basement. And I got to be honest, when I go into the little storage room in the morning, I am barely coherent. But when I come out of there, and I'm not in there forever, but when I come out of there, I have this sense, okay, I am ready. I mean, when I hit the light switch to leave, I have this sense, I'm ready to attack the day. And it's because, God, I've given you the things that matter most on the front end, and now I'm asking for your help as I go through this day. And so in this series, we've been looking at Matthew chapter 6. And Matthew chapter 6 is a beautiful passage because in a lot of ways, it's a guide prayer. It's a model prayer. It's referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Many of you, including myself, You grew up saying this prayer uh, quite often. And what's so cool about this prayer, why it's just such a beautiful prayer, is because it gives us categories to pray. If you don't know how to pray, if you ever wonder, well, what would I say? This prayer is so helpful because it will give you categories. You'll go, oh, I pray like that in that section, and then the next thing, and then the next thing, and the next thing. And the order is actually very important as well. It's so helpful. It'll help you cultivate a prayer life. So I want to do this. I want to review for you where we've been, because where we've been sets up, very importantly, where we're going to land today. This is one of those texts. We're going to be in Matthew 6. You can go ahead and and click or turn there now. We're going to start in verse 11. But this is one of those texts that if you just come in on today, it's kind of like you're coming in in the third quarter of the game or the eighth inning, and that's not a good idea in this kind of a, a series. You need to know what happened before. What are the verses in front of verse 11? Because they really set up and they really frame how we think about where we're going to land today. So I want to quickly review for you, but it's important for us to do. And honestly, I don't think we can say these things enough. So we saw this in week number one. We saw that Jesus didn't just teach us about prayer, but he modeled prayer. We saw that Jesus, he would go about his life and and he would teach and he would preach and he would heal and and he would do all these sorts of things. And as he did them, it says that the people stood back and they were astonished at his teaching. But then what would Jesus do? He would retreat and he would pray. And it says this time and time again in the scriptures, verses like Luke chapter 5, verse 16, but Jesus often 
withdrew to lonely places and prayed. We also took note of this, though, in this series. We took note of the disciples. Because when the disciples watched Jesus pray and they watched his life, they noticed something different about him and they went to him with a posture of humility and they said this to him, Luke 11. They said, Lord, and this, everybody, this should be our posture. They said, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? Now remember, these are Jewish men. These men know how to pray. These men were raised praying prayers a lot. And so Jesus could have said to them, well, what do you mean you don't know how to pray? You should know how to pray. What do you mean you don't know how to pray well? You should know how to pray well. Maybe that's how some of you even feel here today. I should have a pretty good prayer life, but I just don't. But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't condemn them. Instead, what Jesus did is he honored their humility and he lovingly taught them how to pray because he knows the value of it. So let's get to work. Look at verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6. This then says this. This is how you should pray. So Jesus speaking, he's giving us an absolute gift here. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now right out of the gate we learned that, okay, we're, we're praying to our Father in heaven, which is very important because what that screams is, okay, if he's my father, then I am his child. I'm his son. You're his daughter. I mean, think about that, of the living God. And so when I pray, I'm praying to my father. And what that screams is relationships. That screams that God delights in your voice, that God is never bothered by hearing from you. But he longs, actually, to hear from you. That when you speak, actually, God turns his ear towards you because that's what a good father does. But then it's not just our father. It's our father where? It's our father in heaven. And so our Father is supreme, and He has authority, and He's above all. He's transcendent. And so I approach that, and not only is our Father in heaven, but then in the next line, it's, oh, holy is His name, which means that, whoa, I stand back, and I can't even, I don't even have good categories to describe the holiness of God, but I know that when people encountered the holiness of God, they landed flat on their faces in worship of Him. And so not only is there relationship, our Father in heaven, but now there's reverence. Holy is his name. In these last couple of weeks, I've been in my prayer times now, I've been doing what I'm asking you all to do, and I've been writing out my prayers, and I've been starting them, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. And I got to tell you, everybody, it's changing the way I pray. And here's why. When you start a prayer with our Father, and then you pause, you get to think about, he wants to talk to me. He wants to meet with me. This is a conversation. And then when you get to holy is his name, you realize, okay, I'm not just in the presence of anybody. I'm in the presence of a holy God, and he's transcendent, and he's supreme, and he knows all. And so that's going to shape how I pray. But then notice where it goes next. Look at, verse, uh, look at verse 10. He says this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so first it's this declaration our Father in heaven, holy is your name. So my identity is not tied up in the approval of other people. My identity is tied up in the fact that I'm a chosen child of the living God. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Now, your kingdom come. Now, simply what that means is this. That's us making this acknowledgement. Lord, I could build my kingdom today. I've got the rest of the day, and I could build my kingdom. Or... I can say, God, I want to submit to your kingdom 
Lord, I want to further your purposes. Lord, not my will be done, but Lord, what's your will for today? It's a prayer of submission. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, when we get to verse 11, this prayer really changes. It, it, it takes a turn at least. And you can think of it like this. So far, this prayer has been so much about God, about who he is, about his kingdom, about asking for his will. In other words, his ways to be done, his things to be accomplished. But when we get to verse 11, now Jesus says you need to lay your needs before God. Right now, think of the greatest needs that you have in your life. Your Father in heaven cares deeply about those. And now Jesus is saying it's time to bring them to him. And if there's just one word that I hope that you'll leave here today with, it's this word. It's the word dependence. I hope that you'll leave here with that word in your mind. When you think of verse 11, give us today our daily bread, I hope that you'll think of this word dependence. Say that with me. One, two, three. Now, let's be honest. Most of us don't like that word very much. We were raised actually to be independent, right? We're raised to be self-sufficient to be a self-made man or woman. Our country is founded on the declaration of, de no, the declaration of what? Independence, right? Some of us work our entire lives so that one day we are financially independent. Have you ever met someone that's aging and physically they are now dependent again on someone else? Have you ever met anyone like that and they're enjoying that? No. We love not being Dependent, we love independence. But today, everybody, my prayer for you, please hear this. My prayer for you and for me is this. In a world that screams, be independent, be independent, be independent, my prayer for us, everybody, is that we would see the wisdom in going to our Heavenly Father and being absolutely dependent on our needs, dependent on Him for our needs. It's the greatest thing that you could do. It's the wisest thing that you could do. Look at verse 11. It says, give us our day, give us today our daily bread. Now, you got to know this. This is like a declaration. So this is like Jesus saying to us, you need to cry out to God and say, God, I need your help. Jesus is saying, it would be wise for you. It'd be wise for me to go to God often and say, Lord, I depend on you. I am your child and I depend on you. God, I need you. God, I am not actually independent of you. I am vitally dependent on you. I bring my needs before you. Now, let's talk about, let's talk about bread for a little bit. And I'm sorry if you're on a keto or uh, paleo or whatever diet, uh, Anybody like bread anymore? <laughs> Amen. Yeah, let's go out to lunch, right? All right. So anyway, we've got lots of breads, though. Think about this for a second. I mean, you go to the bread store, you can get bread with black seeds, whatever those are. You can get wheat bread, uh, onion or something, cheese on it, uh, baguettes, bagels, uh, croissants. Ashlyn said to me last night, she said, Dad, if your message doesn't go well, just butter up those croissants, give them to everybody, everybody go home happy. I said, thanks for the confidence, sweetie. You know, all right. But, oh, and then there's this. I don't know about, this will change your life. It'll kill you, but it will change your life. Cinnamon bread, right? There's all kinds of bread. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up praying this prayer. Give us today our daily bread. And you know what I thought? I thought about food. And I thought, I'm asking God for food. But here's what I want you to know. When you pray this part of the prayer, don't just think bread, food. Think, what are my needs? What do I need today? What are all the categories? Because it's not just about food. 
Think about when you go through a day, you know what you need? A lot of you, you need a job. You need income. You need relationship. You need uh, people in your life who care about you. You need hope. You need to know, okay, I'm not alone. You need all sorts of things as you go through every single day of your life. And so when you think, and when you hear this prayer, give us today our daily bread. Think big. Think every single need that you have. Every single one. Because here's the deal. You have a Father in heaven who cares for all of your needs and it's wise for you and I to take every single one of them to him, well beyond food. I don't know about you, though. I feel this way. It's easy to forget to pray sometimes for daily needs. Have you ever been kind of guilty of that, that you just kind of forget to pray about the things that are just the daily things? But yet, if any one of them, like your health or well, all of them, I mean, just think of all the categories. Yet, if any one of them is gone, you understand in like a, a nanosecond how desperate you are. If you've ever had a health scare, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're cruising through life, and all of a sudden something goes wrong with you, and you realize, whoa, this life is very fragile and very fleeting. Or it's like the athlete. Everything is up and to the right. The future is absolutely bright. One play, they blow their knee out, and they are at ground zero trying to figure out what their plan is to go forward. Our needs, our daily bread. When we pray on a regular basis, it reminds us that all of these different categories, every single need that we have, these are, it also reminds us of this, everybody, they're a gift from God. They're gifts from God. When you remember things like this, okay, God, I have air to breathe. God, I'm able to do things. When you remember these things, you're reminded, okay, God, you are my provider and I need you. But I'll be honest, I'm not very good at depending. I'm not very good at it. You know, there are some athletes that if you teach them a skill, within minutes of a coach teaching a good athlete a skill, they'll do it so well that the people watching will say, wow, she's a natural. Yeah, he's a natural. I don't know about you, and I think this is true of all of us. We're not very natural at depending on God. By and large, think of our culture. We don't depend well. Everybody, this isn't new, though. You look at Genesis chapter 3, it was the beginning of people saying, God, I don't really need you. God, I can do this on my own. Or sometimes we get into a pickle and we say, I got myself here. I guess I'll have to get myself out of this. Or I got this in confidence. But to depend says, God, I need you. God, I need you to be healthy. God, I need you to have courage to get through this meeting. God, I need you to make wise decisions. God, I need you for another day. That's everybody, that's wise. Praying this way also keeps us from pride. You know the scriptures that say this. They say, God, what does he do to the prideful? He opposes them. Hands up. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And when you and I acknowledge, God, I need you, what we're saying is, God, in our dependence, we're humbly coming to you. Instead of, oh, I'm healthy because uh, whatever, I took my vitamins. No, no, no. You're healthy because God gave you the gift of your health. And God, my heart is beating well, though that's a gift. Oh, God, I have a job. Oh, that's a gift. Oh, God, I had energy to get out of bed. And, and Lord, I have the wherewithal to think clearly this morning. Gift, 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 gift. Do you see that? Give us our daily bread is not the prayer of a beggar. 
Give us our daily bread is the prayer of the person who daily realizes, I am utterly dependent on God. God, I need you. I need you in the big ways, and I need you in the small ways. Acts chapter 17, verse 28 says, For in him we live and move and have our being. In him we are utterly dependent. You know, in the book of Exodus, you maybe know the story, God fed his people bread. He fed his people manna as they wandered in the wilderness. Forget this, 40 years. I mean, try to imagine it. And you might know the story. They were rebellious, and they were arguing, and they were, they were bitter. And at one point, it, they formed a golden calf, and they began to worship it. And yet, what happened to them every single day for a period of 40 years? What did God do for them? He provided every day. He provided their food. Every single day. And it was as a a way, I think, of of him saying, hey, even in your rebellion, I still see you. I still care for you. I still know you, and I'm still providing for you. But I wonder what it was like. The morning after they formed this golden calf and they get rebuked and the whole thing, I wonder if any of them went to bed that night and they thought to themselves, wow, we just worshiped an idol. I wonder if there'll be bread tomorrow. I wonder if God will provide. And I wonder what it was like when they walked out that next morning and they looked around and they saw, God, you provided. He's still with us. And I would imagine tears probably were streaming down their faces because they realized, wow, even in the midst of my rebellion, God, you still provide for me. God, I can see your hand and your goodness still at work in my life. Romans chapter 2 says this, that the kindness of God leads us sometimes to repentance. In other words, when we see the kindness of God, it will actually lead us back towards him. You actually might be in the greatest season of rebellion in your life that you've ever been in. And I would ask you this morning, are you seeing the hand of God still faithful to you? Are you still clothed? Do you still have food? Do you still have shelter? All of these things. Let the kindness of God, let it draw you back. Because realize this, God is fighting for you. He still sees you. He still provides for you. And as he fights for you, he longs for you to return to him. Lord, give us today our daily bread. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22 puts it this way. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new. Here it is. Every morning, great is thy faithfulness. You know, God never, in the book of Exodus, he never provided for them this big pallet of bread and said, that'll last you a month. Instead, he gave them what they needed for every single day because he wanted to remind them, no matter how much you rebel, I will provide, and I'm for you. I'm trying to woo you back to me. Before we move on, there's one more thing I think we have to notice that's important. Notice the language of these verses, verse 11. It's not consumed with just us. We're not to be that way when we pray this. Notice that it does not say, Lord, give me my daily bread. No, that's not how it's worded. It's give us our daily bread. So it's not just about three people, me, myself, and I. No, no. It's about us praying for other people who need their daily bread. Again, not just food, but the needs of other people. So you pray for your church. You pray for your community. We pray for our families. 
we look around the world and we, we do know there are people that don't know where their actual physical next meal is coming from. And so, Lord, we're mindful of that because when we're mindful of that and when we're praying towards that, it will greatly inform how we pray and then how we live. Psalm chapter uh, 41, verse 1 says, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. Blessed is the one that the poor is on their mind. Because what does that do? Well, it shapes not only how I think about my own needs, but then it leads me to action. We also need to know that asking for our daily bread is not some things. We need to know what, what does daily bread not mean. We have to remember that the order of this prayer, it's so important. Because again, remember this prayer, when we come to it, most of us, if you're anything like me at least, I gravitate toward these kinds of prayers. I gravitate towards the prayers where I say, Lord, I need this. Lord, I wish that. Lord, would you please? It's kind of a wish list. But Jesus is pointing us to say, no, 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 prayer is not, it's not a wish list. It's not that. And so he reminds us, okay, this is the order of the prayer. You're praying to your Father in heaven, and holy is his name, and you've already submitted to the kingdom. You've said, God, your way's better than mine. You're much wiser than me. So, Lord, your will be done, not my will. And so when you pray that way, then your requests make sense. But if you don't pray in that order, sometimes you get out of whack, and sometimes you think it's sort of like Aladdin's lamp. Or it's like a genie in a bottle, and you just get to pray what you wish for, and boom, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come true. But when you pray underneath God's will, when you get a no, you realize, okay, I asked for this, but God really wanted me to have that. I thought that this was the best thing for me, but no, no, God, you had something much better for me. Or, God, you said no to me, and in your wisdom, it's like a good parent, in your wisdom you said no because you knew that if I had this now, it would really mess me up later. And so we begin, we begin to trust God like that. But, but let me ask you this question. Can you imagine if God gave us everything that we asked for? Can you imagine if we got the things that we thought we needed, but God ignored the things that he knew we should have? Can you imagine that? If it was like Aladdin's lamp, if it was like a genie in the bottle, Tim Keller illustrates it this way. He said, imagine, and try to picture this, imagine if you had a five-year-old with Aladdin's lamp in their hands, and out came, you know, the genie, and blah, 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 and, and they were able to have anything that they wanted. What would you do if that unfolded right in front of you, a five-year-old about to get anything? I think you'd run for the hills. I know I would, because that five-year-old might go, anything I touch, chocolate, here we go, boom. Or imagine this, imagine if a nine-year-old got Aladdin's lamp and they could have anything that they, boom, asked for at their command. You got a nine-year-old in our home, that nine-year-old might ask for his siblings to disappear for a while, right? Or how about this, what if a 16-year-old got Aladdin's lamp and they could have anything that they wanted? Imagine that. That might be inappropriate to talk about in church, so we're going to move on, Right? How about a 25-year-old? Because 25-year-olds, I mean, they've arrived. Let's give a little clap for the 25-year-olds, right? You're not, you know, you're, you're wiser when you're 25. But isn't it true that when you're 35, you look at what you did when you're 25, and you think, I was an idiot. <laughs> isn't it also true that when you're 35, you look at what you did when you're 25, and when you're 45, you look at what you did when you're 35, and when you're 55, you look what you did in your 40s, and you just shake your head, and you go, man, that was kind of idiotic. And the point is this, even according to yourself, you're always an idiot. <laughs> we don't know what's best for us, do we, church? I mean, we just don't, do we? 
And so it would be so unwise for us to be able to have that kind of a thing. And what's beautiful about prayer is this, and this is the safety net. The safety net is who you're praying to. You're praying to a good heavenly father who knows what you need. You're praying to a heavenly father that knows the end, and so he can see all the things along the way, and so we can trust his wisdom. We can look and we can thank God. God, you know more than I do, and so I will, with everything I can, I will submit to you, because it's like a good parent does say no to their children. A good God says no to his children. He says not yet. He says maybe later. He says never. We're going this way. And so what we have to do then is to say, okay, God, I trust you because you love me enough sometimes to give me not what I want, but what I desperately need. You know, there are times, though, when we pray that way. I don't know if you're anything like me. You actually pray for things that are God-honoring, and when they don't happen, you get angry. And you just wonder, God, why won't you answer my prayer? It would make sense for you to. It would be honoring to you. I can see how it would honor you. Tim Keller put it this way, and I thought this was so helpful. God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. And isn't it true, everybody? One day we will know. One day you will be able to look back and you'll be able to go, wow, God, you were right. God, I asked for that. Thank you. You saved me. I know I've got some of those in my own life, but we'll really have them when we get up here, when you look back over decades. So we trust God in the meantime, and we say, God, I don't know everything. And everybody remember this. The goal of prayer is not to get what you want. The goal of prayer is to get more of God. And that's why it starts off the way it does. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. And that's why Jesus didn't just pray once a month and, hey, get in that habit and, you know, you pay your bills, say a prayer. No. He said, I want you to pray every single day, and I'm going to model it even for you. Because when you do, that relationship will get strong. And when that relationship gets strong, then you'll trust the will of God and you'll see the hand of God at work in all of these things. But everybody imagine this. Imagine if the goal of our time with God was just to get what we want. Imagine if you went up to to a kid, maybe say it's your kid, and you went up to one of your kids, and they were asked the question, hey, what's the goal of you talking to your parents? And imagine if your child said, the goal of me talking to my mom and my dad is to get what I want. I don't know about you, but that would break my heart. Everybody think about this. The goal of prayer is more of God, absolute dependence on a heavenly father who knows you and who loves you and who longs to be in relationship with you. And so I want to close this way. I want to ask this question. How can I increase my level of dependence? Because we live in a culture that screams, be independent, be independent, be independent. It's the wisest thing you can do. But the scriptures are so clear. The greatest thing that we can do is entrust ourselves into the person that's absolutely wise, absolutely perfect, absolutely holy, yet absolutely in love with you in deep relationship. And so how can I be absolutely dependent? Number one, if you're a note taker, here you go. We'll go quick. Be realistic. Here's what I mean by that. Psalm 50, read it. It basically says this, though. God owns everything. 
So everything that you have, when you think of your health, when you think of your wealth, when you think of your shelter, when you think of your relationships, every single thing that you have, God owns it all. And there is no insurance policy to, that can cover all of it. And it can be gone in a flash. And life is fleeting. And so it's important, I think, for us just to be realistic and to go, these gifts that I have, they are from God, right down to the basics. Number two, to be more dependent. Say no to what you want in order to get what you need most. Say no to some things that you want in order to get what you need most. We could do an entire series on this. But let me ask you this question, and for some of you, you've done this before. Have you ever fasted a meal? Like you just said, I'm not going to eat that meal. I'm going to spend some time with the Lord instead of eating. You should maybe do that. Maybe do one meal, maybe do two meals, maybe do several meals. I'll be honest with you. I don't enjoy fasting at all. I see it on the calendar. I know we're about to do it together or whatever. It doesn't get me very excited, but I love the effect of it. Because what happens is I become more grateful for the basics. And I realize, God, I have these things in my life that I take for granted all the time. So say no to what you want in order to get what you need most. Number three, how can you depend on God more? Some of you, you need to do this. You need to keep dreaming. For some of you, you look at your life and you, you look in the rearview mirror and you go, my, des- my best days are behind me. You look at your marriage and you go, it's hopeless. And you had these dreams at one point. You had dreams for your life and maybe for your career, maybe for your family, or maybe for this thing that you just thought, God, would you do this through me? But you've maybe given up on your dreams. And I just want to say to you this morning, pray big prayers. Lay your dreams before God. Maybe you need to go to your place at your designated time, and you need just to say, Lord, what do I need to start dreaming about again? Because here's the deal. The more that you put big things in front of God, dreams that you have for your life that you feel like are given to you from God, the more that you'll depend on the only one who can help you accomplish them. And that's your good heavenly father. Don't stop dreaming, church. Don't stop dreaming. Dream. Lay them out. They will cause you to depend on the only one who can accomplish them. And the bigger dreams you pray, the greater your dependence will be. Number four, embrace persistence. Embrace being a persistent person. I wish we had time to go into all these examples. Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a story. And he says this, though, at the very beginning of the story, this parable, it says that Jesus told this parable. Here's why to show them that they should always pray and never give up. We see this throughout the scriptures. Let me give you four examples. There's an example of a prostitute that crashed a party in the scriptures. She was persistent. She wanted to be around Jesus. There's the, there's the story of a tax collector. He climbed up into a tree just so he could get close to Jesus. There's the story of these four friends that had a, a friend who needed healed. And so these guys wanted to be so close to Jesus and they knew he had power. So they cut a hole in a roof. They lowered him through it so that he could be healed. There's a story in the scriptures of this widow, this persistent woman, that she drove a judge crazy because she was so persistent. And of all four groups, Jesus commended them. And he commended them because they were persistent. Keep on praying. Have you given up on anything, church? Is there anybody, and you just gave up, you used to bring them before God just like you ask for anything, but you stopped 
Be persistent. Don't give up. Batterson, he puts it this way. Bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. Think about that. Bold prayers, what do they do? They say to God, God, you are good. God, you are powerful. God, you can show up and you can accomplish things I couldn't even dream up. That's how good you are. Bold prayers, what do they do? They honor God. So let's be persistent, church. Everybody, let's say no to some things that we need in order to have what we need most. And then everybody, let's just be realistic today. And let's just realize, I didn't deserve this, but I have it. I needed that. God said no because he wanted me to have that. I thought I wanted this, but God knew. He pushed me back so that I, you know, this is the best, right? That. But let's be the kind of people, and I pray that you know this, because some of you this morning, you're going through maybe the hardest time of your life, and you need to know this more than anything else this morning. You need to know God cares for your needs. Jesus could have left this out of the prayer, but he knew it would be wise for his people to constantly approach their heavenly father and to say, Lord, I need this. And so what we're going to do now is this. Why don't you stand with me, and we're going to go ahead and we're going to say the Lord's Prayer again together as we close our time. So it says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. It says, um, this then is how you should pray. And now say this with me. Here we go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, we pray together this morning that we would be reminded more than anything else, Lord, that you care for each and every need that we have in our lives. And so right now, church, right now, wherever you are, would you bring your needs before your God in heaven who loves you? And would you be reminded this morning that he knows you, that he cares for you, that he's your father who you can call out to, but yet he's holy, he's omniscient, he's transcendent, he's perfect in all of his ways, he has your best interests in mind, and yet he sees you. And so, Lord, we trust you, and we pray this now in Christ's name.